Father, in this quiet moment, we adore Jesus Christ. He who is our peace. Thank you. We honor him this morning. We honor his presence. We honor his person. We honor the one whom he sent, the Holy Spirit, who is here with us in this auditorium this morning. Infusing with life and imparting grace. Infusing with strength. Lifting, encouraging, revealing, helping. We thank you for who you are in our midst today, the living God. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Gleason family. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful time of worship. Oh, how I just love and crave the presence of God. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, Thank you for driving past several, if not a dozen or more churches to be here this morning. You could have been a lot of other places, but you chose to come to North Point. And uh, on behalf of the entire team, we're thrilled to have you here. And uh, so... So smile at your neighbor and say, thanks for coming. Would you do that? Thank you for filling out the welcome books. If this is your first or second or third time, we just are thrilled. If this is your fifth or 50th or 500th time, we're thrilled. Let us know what's going on, that you're here, uh, what's going on in your life. That's your way to communicate. We actually do uh, look at all of those and record those weekly, and it really helps us uh, care for the flocks. We thank you for that. Hey, the offering buckets are going to go by in just a minute. And I thought we'd do something fun. You know, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And so I thought we'd do something just to mix it up a little bit today. As, uh, as, we, as you prepare to give this morning, I want you to take out your checkbook, your credit card, or your debit card, or your cash, whatever the case may be, maybe your wallet or your purse. And I just want you to hand it to the person in front of you or in back of you because they're going to decide how much you give today. Now, doesn't that sound fun? I mean, it's fun to give away other people's money, isn't it? I mean, you know, write a few extra zeros. And uh, I'm I'm being facetious this morning, but it does highlight a principle that we believe in firmly here at North Point, and that is the principle of stewardship. We don't believe in ownership. Everything that we have is a gift from God to us. And we are not owners of it. We're stewards of it, aren't we? We're managers of it. And so really, we're just giving back a portion of what God has entrusted to us as an act of obedience because the tithe belongs to the Lord. So thank you for your faithfulness and giving. So many of you are so generous and so consistent, and uh, it it is making a difference for the kingdom of God. So thank you very much. Uh, We have a couple of things. We have a meet and greet today. We have uh, some elders that we're going to be affirming next Sunday night. We have a family meeting. Details are in your bulletin. You've been hearing about that. 6 p.m. right here in the auditorium. Uh, We're going to share together for about 45 minutes. We've got some business. Uh, We've got some updates, some communication. Uh, As as I think everyone knows, it was announced last week that... uh, Uh, Yours truly was appointed as interim executive pastor, and I have some things that I want to share about what we're going to be focused on over the next six months. So we would love to have you come and be part of that family night. The elders that are going to be affirmed, or at least presented before you to be affirmed, you can meet them, you can talk with them, you can ask them questions. They're going to be out in the foyer right over in this area after the service. So if you've got specific questions, want to meet them, please make it a point to go out there and talk with them, shake their hand, ask them some questions, and... uh, and get to know them a little bit better. That would be wonderful. One last announcement before we just dive right into God's Word is the Christmas Eve service. Uh, 
Christmas Eve, candlelight and communion, we're going to be sharing together as a family. Two opportunities for you, 5 and 6.30. It'll be about a 45-minute to one-hour worship service. And this is a great way to make Christmas really special for you and your family. It's going to be an intimate, touching, inspirational time together. We're going to share in communion together. The, 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 the simple gospel is going to be celebrated. We're going to celebrate it together. So if you have friends, family, neighbors that perhaps aren't Christ followers, don't understand the gospel, bring them because we're going to encapsulate the gospel very simply, worship and celebrate together. It's going to be a great night, and you're going to want to be a part of that Christmas Eve, 5 and 6.30. All right. Well, let's just pause just for a moment, bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord, and just look to him in prayer as we go to his word this morning. Father, we are just so grateful for your word. God, this, this book is not like any other book. It's supernatural. And it is your, it's your letter. It's, 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 it's written by the inspiration of your spirit. So as we, as we go to your word today, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You're the communicator. You're the illuminator. Take these pages, these, these black and white letters, these black letters on pages of white, and quicken them to our hearts, renew our minds, and bring transformation to our lives in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. If you agree, say amen. 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 I'm going to have, uh, as the ushers come back and just distribute what looks like a little communion wafer. Uh, it looks like a little communion wafer because it is. But we're not going to share in communion this morning. This is in no way related to communion. It's just a little object lesson. And this little wafer is going to make a lot more sense in what it symbolizes and represents hopefully by the end of the service. So I'd like everybody to take one and just hang on to it. Don't eat it. Uh, hopefully you're not that hungry. Uh, we'll, we'll scrape something up for you for that hungry after the service, okay? But, uh, but as, as those are being passed out, let me tell you about an amazing woman. Her name is Gladys Allward. Some of you have heard of her. And she is quite famous for being a missionary to China. She was 26 years old and God spoke to her to go to China. She had no formal education. She had no strategic alliances. She had no financial support. In fact, she went to a missions prep school. And after three months, they dismissed her because her grades were so bad. They said, you're never going to make it on the mission field. She had no support, but she had a burning desire to go preach the gospel and share Jesus Christ with the people, with the Chinese people. She worked for several years, scraped together enough money, and she bought a one-way ticket to China. Now, how many of you know that is a leap of faith? Not a two-way, not a round trip. One-way ticket. Took her a long time. It's an amazing story how she even got to China. But she got there, and uh, she connected with a woman that was 73 years old that had been ministering to the Chinese people, and uh, this precious woman, Jennifer Lawson, had written and said that she was getting older and she needed somebody to come help her to, to continue the work. And so that was all the encouragement that Gladys needed. So these two women connected. They were not well received. The locals called them witches and they would throw mud at them. They would spit on them. They did not accept them. They, 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 they categorically rejected them for many, many months. But these women just continued to, to live out the love of Jesus Christ to these poor Chinese people. Long story short, 
the, uh, the elderly woman, Je- uh, Jeannie, she passed away just several months after Gladys got there. So Gladys was left to run this mission station all by herself. She barely knew the language, but she knew the love of God, and she just continued to serve precious people and pour her life into serving the poorest in the community. Over a period of two years, she built a relationship with many people, one of whom was the magistrate of that entire area. He was the highest ruling official of that particular area. He was so struck with her love and selfless serving that she won his heart. And eventually he would become a Christ follower as a result of her. But this is a true story. About two years after she got there, there was a riot that broke out in the local prison. They didn't call the police. They didn't call the military. This magistrate called Gladys and said, Gladys, we need you to go into the prison and, and squelch this riot and bring order. Wow. This was a real prison with real bad guys, thieves, murderers, I mean, the worst of the worst. And this governor of sorts, this magistrate, called her, and this is what he said. He was, uh, his uh, title was the, was the Mandarin. And, uh, and so he said, or Gladys asked, why don't you send in soldiers to stop this riot? If I go in, they are going to kill me. The prison governor said this, how can they kill you? You tell everybody that you have the living God inside you. You preach it everywhere in the streets and in the villages. Selah. Pause and think about that one. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in over your head? (laughs) Probably not many of us can relate to this, okay? This is a pretty dramatic example. But I think everybody in this room, if you've lived very long, sooner or later, if you haven't been there, you're going to be there, trust me. You're going to be in a situation where you're in over your head. Now, it may be a a situation of evangelism, and it may be for the cause of Christ. It might be a financial situation. It might be a medical situation. It might be a relational situation. But in some way, shape, or form... Life throws curveballs, and we find ourselves facing situations where we're in over our head. We don't have the experience. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the connections. We don't have the fine, whatever it is, we don't have what it takes. And I'm sure in this moment, Gladys didn't feel like God's woman of faith and power and say, oh, at last, an opportunity to display the glory of God. I, I, I don't know. It's not recorded. She's gone on to her reward. We can't interview her. But I have to imagine that when she was called in to squelch this riot in this prison, in fact, listen to this, she went into the prison She walked into several dead bodies lying in the courtyard of the prison and seeing blood everywhere. She was met by a convict with a meat axe with blood all over it, ready to strike her. That's what she walked into. (laughs) Wow. 
I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about being in over our heads. And I'll I'll tell the rest of the story about Gladys a a little bit later. Remind me, because I'm, I'm almost notorious for starting stories and not finishing them, because I forget. So don't let us get out of here. I'll tell you the rest of the story. It's an amazing story. Gladys was in over her head. And I have to imagine that she dealt with fear. That she dealt with serious anxiety. That she was caught off guard. Here she was basically pleading for her own life, saying, Why are you going to send me in? Send the, send the military in. No, you're the one that's been preaching about this Jesus. You're the one that says that the living God lives inside of you. And if that's true, they won't be able to hurt you. Wow. So let's, let's talk for a few minutes this morning about getting in over your head. We've been in this series, Stride, stepping up, stepping out, keeping pace as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We've covered a lot of ground and as... Uh, uh, Chris shared last week, well, let me just, we, we, first of all, we followed Jesus to a funeral, our own. We followed Jesus to the closet, secret giving, secret prayer, secret fasting. We followed him to the Colosseum, doing, learning to do right when wronged. These are things that we are called into as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Last week, Chris just so wonderfully led us to the carpet square. We followed Jesus to the kindergarten carpet square. If you weren't here, you need to listen online. Powerful, simple but powerful message. Chris, fantastic job of illustrating and articulating, walking in the rest of relationship in God's grace. In fact, I want to read one of the keynote scriptures again that Chris touched on, Matthew chapter 11. We'll go there in just a minute. So this week, we want to follow Jesus into the cafeteria. We're following Jesus. And uh, we're going to read a couple of key texts. One is in Mark chapter 3. The other, our main text is in John chapter 6. Now, all four Gospels record the story of the feeding of the 5,000. All of us are familiar with this story. And what I want to do is I, I, I want to read John's version of the feeding of the 5,000, because he shares some details that the other gospel writers don't share, or at least he shares them in a way that sheds a little bit different light. And my prayer this morning is that we will see a crystal clear picture in our minds, not of Philip and Andrew and other disciples sitting beside Jesus as this Miracle unfolds. But my prayer for you this morning is that each of us, we will be seated next to Jesus, watching this miracle unfold, not as he does this in somebody else's life, but as he does it in our lives. See, if you read the Bible, let me just pause and say this. If you read, if the Bible is boring to you, then you need to develop God-given imagination. Because every time I open the pages of Scripture, I climb inside them. I, 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 I try to insert myself into the people's lives that I'm reading about. I, I, I try to step back and, and, and glean everything I can about the setting and the backdrop and what's going on. That's not just for theologians and Bible scholars. That's for every follower of Christ. And the more you insert yourself and begin to use your imagination and think about what it would have been like 
the more Scripture will come alive and the more the Holy Spirit will impart to you personally. And Bible reading and study will take on a whole new dimension. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to climb inside John chapter 6. So let's read a couple of verses. In fact, let's go back and just read that beautiful verse. First of all, all of these connect, okay? They're all related, and I'll, I'll, I'll tie together the bow. But Chris shared out of Matthew chapter 11 last week, and he read particularly out of, out of the, the Message Bible. Can we look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30? What a beautiful backdrop. Really, it ties. it's a beautiful segue to what we're going to cover this morning. Jesus says this, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Excuse me, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, we're going to go right from the carpet square to the cafeteria this morning. We're going to get to experience these verses with Jesus this morning. We're going to go from the carpet square right to the cafeteria. Are you ready? Mark chapter 3, verses 14, actually verses 13 through 15. I want you to get this. Jesus, see this is, this is before John chapter 6. Jesus goes up onto a mountain and he picks his 12 disciples that he then calls apostles. And the Bible says something of utmost importance to every single one of us this morning. The Bible simply says this in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 3, that he appointed 12, and I want you to catch this, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. What did Jesus select these 12 men to do? Don't miss it. What was the number one thing? What is it? To be, four-letter word, starts with W, with, W-I-T-H. That's a beautiful word. That's a magnificent word. That's a life-transforming word. He selected 12. You know what? If you're a Christ follower this morning, you can insert your name. He selected you. Number one, to be with him. And number two, that he might send you out to represent him and the kingdom. And that is an incredibly exciting journey. Can somebody say amen? Okay, so let's dive into John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And we'll begin to tie these thoughts together. Soon Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. There was a huge crowd because he was, the Bible says he was healing the sick. He was working extraordinary miracles. And and there was an enormous crowd. So that's understandable. And they're up on this this higher elevation. They're up on a, a mountain or a hilltop. And they're looking down over this vast crowd. And here's the picture that I, that I want you to have. In fact, uh, can, can one of you young guys uh, help me out a little bit? Can you, just, can you just pop up here? Right right here. What's your name? What is it? Brandon? Brandon, come on over here. Just sit down right here. Sit right here. This, this is a picture I want you to have. All right? Brandon's going to represent Philip. 
Because this, this is what was happening. Jesus was sitting, and he had Philip right next to him. And they're looking out much like we're looking right now. There's, there's quite a few people out here. In fact, it looks like more when you stand up here and look out, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. And, and sometimes that can be kind of scary and intimidating. But you don't have to preach. I have to preach, so you're probably not nervous. Right. Yeah, okay, good. So anyway, they're, they're sitting, and they're looking at this crowd. And Jesus sees this vast crowd, and the Bible tells us this. He turned to Philip... Brandon. And he asked a question. None of the other gospel writers record this, but John. He asks a question. He says, hey, hey, Philip, hey, Brandon, where could we get food to feed all these people? Now, that's an interesting question. It was an intentional question. In fact, the Bible tells us something that makes it even more interesting. It says that he turned to Philip, to Brandon, and he said, hey, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? Jesus, the Bible tells us, he already knew what he was going to do. Now that should make us feel better, because he's not making it up as he goes along. He's not shooting from the hip. He knows what he's doing. Can somebody say amen? Thank God for that. So he already knows what he's going to do, but he turns to Philip and he says, Hey, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? Isn't that interesting? We're... I just want you to think about this now. How do you suppose Philip felt when all of a sudden... See, it's one thing to be sitting here looking at the crowd next to Jesus. I get to represent Jesus this morning. It's pretty awesome. It's one thing to sit next to him and just watch him out, which is what they'd been doing. They'd been watching him operate. They'd been watching him raise the dead and heal the sick and cleanse lepers and drive demons out. I mean, awesome stuff. And they were, they were right in the middle of it. They were in the thick of it. And they got to watch it all. But everything changed the moment Jesus turned and asked that question. See, going back to Gladys. See, it's one thing to have a riot in the prison. And you can say, oh, wow, that's, that's bad. Well, I hope somebody takes care of that. When all, all of a sudden the governor of the prison says, hey, Brandon. We need you to go into the prison and straighten that out. That's a game changer. Now all of a sudden, I'm invited into the equation. Are you listening this morning? This this is what happened. And so I just want you to have this picture. I'm I'm, going to have Brandon sit down and I'm going to go back up there. Thank you, Brandon, for helping me. But I, I want this picture to be in your mind all morning long, and, and, and not only this morning, but as we leave this place all week long and all month and all year. Because I want you to see your life and your relationship and your, we call it sometimes as Christ followers, our walk with God. I want you to see side by side, you're never alone, Him walking with you. Because that's the way it is. In fact, it's even better than that because they had it right and Gladys had it right. She said, this God lives inside me. He's with me. See, I like with. Let me, let, me, let me finish the story before I dive into my... I just have three simple lessons in the leftovers. That's, what, that's my subtitle this morning. Okay, We're following Jesus to the cafeteria. We're going to pull out three lessons from the leftovers that, that, that if you will just allow the Holy Spirit to write these on the tablet of your heart, it will, ch- it will change the rest of your life. And, this is exciting, it'll change, God will use you to change other people's lives. 
which is really cool. Okay, so he turns to Philip. He says, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? Verse 6 says he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, uh, in fact, let me read it off here because I think I have two different translations. Uh, Philip answered, 200 silver pieces. A silver piece was basically one day's wage. So this was two-thirds of a year of income. How much do you, don't tell me, how much do you make a year? Divide that by three and take two of them. And Philip says, that's not even enough to give everybody a bite. So, so basically, a year's wages might have, fed, might have fed the crowd. Big crowd, a lot of money. Okay? He says 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, said, Hey, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now go gather all the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. <coughs> Excuse me. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left. And then one, I think we have one last verse, verse 35, is that there? See, because if you, if you read John chapter 6, read the whole chapter. Because everything is, is, is in a setting, it's all in a context. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he went on to talk about that. And so we'll, we'll, we'll tie that all together in a minute. But here's... here's the, the, the first lesson in the leftovers that's a game changer for you and for me. Principle number one, lesson number one, is there's power in partnership. There's power in partnership. We read Mark chapter 3. Jackie, if you could back up a little bit and throw that back up, those couple verses. Remember, Jesus chose 12 that they might be what? With him. And that he might send them out. See, that's God's prescribed order. He's going to do the same thing in your life. He's not going to send you out until you've spent time with. Okay? Uh, now, let's, let's look at these. Uh, in fact, go back to Matthew chapter 11, Jackie, if you wouldn't put that one up. Because the word with is in these, in these verses multiple times that Chris preached from last week. Walk with me and work with me. See how often that word shows up? Watch how I do it. See, that's partnership. That's together. I, for many years, I lived my Christian experience from this perspective. God expects me to do things for him. I am his servant, which is true. I am his servant. And he expects me to do things for him. Love people and give and, 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 and be salt and light and all these different things. God expects me to do this for him. But this little four-letter four word, see, there's a three-letter word, for, F-O-R, and there's a four-letter word, W-I-T-H. One letter difference, but they're two different galaxies. Because when we shift from doing things for God to doing things with God, it's a total game changer. Everything changes. And this 
is what Jesus was after in the life of Philip. This is why he invited Philip into this partnership. This is why he turned to him and asked him the question, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? He was inviting him into a partnership. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He could have done it without Philip. In fact, he did it without Philip. But the point is, he wanted to do it with Philip. There's power in partnership. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 3.9. We are co-workers with God. We are co-laborers with God. I love that little four-letter word. The power of partnership. You see, Jesus was preparing to reveal himself as the bread of life. As the one that would satisfy the human soul. The one that could be the all in all. Jesus went on to say, after feeding the 5,000, after the 12 baskets full, he started talking about how he was the bread of life. And it's interesting, in the, in the first few verses of John chapter 6, John inserts these few little words. He says, it was just before the Passover that this crowd had gathered and that Jesus was looking out over them. And I, I, I've pondered that for quite some time. Why would John insert it was just before the Passover? And, and I think I've discovered why. In context, because Jesus was the Passover lamb, wasn't he? He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so they were coming into Passover. The Jewish, the, 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 the Christmas or the Easter of the Jewish calendar. And Jesus strategically is revealing himself as the bread of life. The one who came down out of heaven. They were going to participate in a Passover meal. They were going to eat and drink in another day. Probably the next day if we understand rightly the context. And so Jesus is, is really trying to prepare them. I am the bread of life. I am the one that you're going to celebrate. And I'm going to demonstrate it by multiplying these loaves and fish. So what's the point? The power of partnership. Jesus is inviting Philip into a partnership, into an opportunity where he's about to reveal himself. And do you know what? Nothing is new under the sun. Jesus wants to do the same thing through your life. He wants to partner with you. I don't care how young you are. You can be three, four, five, seven. Jesus wants to partner and reveal himself through your life. You can be a young person. You can be a young adult. You can, be, you can have lots of gray hair. In fact, if you have more gray hair than me, wow. You've got a lot of gray hair. He wants to use us. He wants to partner with us because he wants to reveal himself. That's pretty exciting stuff. Wow. That's awesome. There's nothing like being used by God to, to be a, a, a... Paul said, we're living letters known and read by all men. 
We're, we're walking object lessons. Our lives are supposed to be. That when people look, they see Jesus Christ. They smell Jesus Christ. In these imperfect jars of clay that are full of cracks and fractures. Isn't it amazing? So, lesson number one. There's power in partnership. Oh, that's exciting to me. You know, I... I it's interesting, and I didn't plan, but let me just let me just comment. You know, today is starting point, and some of you are gonna are gonna stay and and participate in our, our membership class, our partnership class, and others from the 10:45. And I believe in partnership, and and I'm so grateful for partnership in this church, that that we're partnering together, that together we might spur one another on to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We partner together primarily for, for three, in three areas that, that, that all disciples of Jesus participate in. Number one, we worship together Sunday morning, and you're here, and we're worshiping together. We're learning and growing together. Number two, we connect in small groups. We connect with one another. We do life together. I'm giving away the, our, our starting point content of our class this morning. But I think it fits with the message. And thirdly, then we partner together to serve, to serve one another within the church body because we're a family and that's what families do. Families serve one another, but also as a, as a, as a church family, we serve the community. And we've been doing that in practical, God-glorifying ways through Thanksgiving baskets and Christmas boxes and many other ways, touching and blessing this community. So partnership is powerful. Partnership is biblical. Partnership is healthy spiritually. And that's why we believe in it at North Point. Okay, so principle number one. Lesson number one is the lesson of partnership. God's partnering with us. Number two lesson in the leftovers is that when God puzzles you, he might be proving you. When, when you don't understand, you don't know, it doesn't make sense, all of a sudden you're in the middle of something that's bigger than you and you aren't sure what to do. It's very possible that God is testing you. He's proving you. That's what the Bible tells us in John chapter 6. It says that Jesus, turning to Philip, asked him, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. For he already knew what he was going to do. Lesson number two is that when God puzzles you, he might be proving you. You walk into a situation, you don't know what to do. You see, God uses circumstances and situations that confound us, that are beyond us, because he wants to display himself. He wants to reveal himself. I asked earlier, why did Jesus ask that question of Philip? Why did he test Philip? Why did he puzzle Philip? Because Philip obviously reacted. Philip didn't know. Philip was shocked to be drawn into the equation. He was, just, he was, he was in the bleachers. He was sitting next to Jesus, but he was in the bleachers. He was going to watch Jesus do something awesome, and he was fine with that. But all of a sudden, Jesus invites him into the middle of the equation. And he immediately responds, I have no idea. Are you kidding me? You know, if you're going to put it in modern language, are you kidding me? 200 denarii? 200 pieces of silver? 
Two-thirds of a, of, a, of a yearly wage? For that matter, a whole year's wages? That's not enough to give even, even people a, a, a little snack, an appetizer. Philip was saying, I have no idea. No, the Bible's clear. Jesus asked that question, number one, to invite him into partnership, but number two, to test him. How many of you know that God tests you? Now, God doesn't tempt you to do something evil. He doesn't test you in order to break you. He tests you in order to strengthen you. He tests you in order that you might experience His goodness, His faithfulness, to to, to see Him come through on your behalf so that you can learn to trust Him on a greater level. See, there's, there's good reasons why God tests you, but He does test you. Now, why does He test you? What does He use to test you? And how does He test you? Well, first of all, what does He test? He tests our faith. He tests our heart. He tests our level of trust in Him. What's the barometer? How much am I trusting in me, my resources, my wisdom, my experience, my connections, my ability to handle this situation? And how much am I really trusting Him? He'll bring us into circumstances that will test that. And He's the master at doing that. So he was testing Philip. He was puzzling him in order to prove him. And the word prove simply means to to test. But I had to have something, Chris, you understand this, I had to have something started with P, okay? So it's proving. It's testing. All right? He was testing Philip. I love it. Again, I want to reiterate it. He already knew what he was going to do. You see, anytime the Holy Spirit walks you right smack dab into the middle of a circumstance that stretches you, and that flips you out, and you don't know what to do. You know what? We don't need to freak out. We need to step back. We need to look to our right hand, which is where Jesus Christ is, and we just simply need to say, okay, Jesus, what, what do you got cooking today? What, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? If you already know what you're going to do, just let me in on it so we can do it together. That's the secret to success in the Christian life. It's not figuring it out. Jesus didn't turn to Philip because he needed his wisdom. He certainly didn't turn to Philip because he needed his credit card. Because Philip said, basically, I don't have that much money. Now, he didn't say I don't have that much money. He said it would take that much money, which is interesting. And we're going to revisit that in just a minute. But when God puzzles you, he might be proving you. So what does he test? He tests our hearts and he tests our faith. Because he wants it to develop. He wants it to be purer. He wants it to be stronger. Because it will result, Peter says, in praise and glory and honor to him, which is what he's after. Can somebody say amen? So he tests our hearts and our faith. How does he test us? By putting us in situations that are where we're over our head. When, when I would test my kids, we have a swimming pool, and I, I wanted to train them to swim when they were young, and I would test them. I would have them jump off the steps and swim, sometimes that far to me. But I kept testing them and letting them just about drown. Just about is the operative word. And I kept moving further and further and further and further away. Why? Because I wanted to test them. I wanted to prove them. I wanted to develop them because I don't want a swimming pool in my backyard with kids that don't know how to swim. Are you listening? 
God, want, God has a, 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 a proverbial swimming pool in his backyard, but he doesn't want you to not know how to swim. So he'll keep testing you. And he'll keep bringing you along. And you'll be struggling. Say, God, what are you doing? You're letting me drown. No, I'm not. I'm teaching you to swim. So when he puzzles us, he may prove us. My wife, this is, this is a great story. Let me just thumbnail it quickly because we've we got to get into pr- principle number three, which is, which is awesome. But my wife, when we were, uh, we weren't even dating yet. We, we weren't engaged. But I knew in my soul that she was, God just spoke to me clearly. She was my wife. I don't mean to over-spiritualize it, but I knew in my bones she was going to be the one that I would marry. She didn't know it yet. She had come back from Bible school to Lansing. She wanted to go to the mission field. She wanted to go to Guatemala. And, and we would have these conversations over a period of m- many weeks. And it was really hilarious to me to listen to my, my then, you know, it was now my wife, Carrie. She would say over and over again, I don't know. She'd be frustrated. She'd be mad. I don't know why. God has me in Lansing. I am supposed to be on the mission field. I am supposed to be in Guatemala. God sent me here. I know he sent me here. I don't want to be here. I don't understand why I'm in Lansing. And I had to just bite my lips and my tongue and everything and pinch myself because I wanted to say, I know why you're in Lansing. But I couldn't tell her. And then then several months later, when we got to the point where we started talking about a serious relationship, then we could talk about those things. And all of a sudden, it began to make sense. Are you listening? So when God puzzles you, He's probably proving you. He's probably testing you because He wants to develop you. Poke your neighbor and say, that's good news right there. All right. Now, now we've got to get this before we move to principle number three. Jesus, this is so important. Jesus asked Philip, source. Philip, where, that was the word Jesus used, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? He asked a source question. And did Philip answer that question? He didn't answer that question, did he? He said 200 pieces of silver isn't enough. He told Jesus, basically, he didn't have any kind of a solution. He just told him a very large amount still isn't enough. So he's talking quantity, and Jesus is, he's talking supply, and Jesus is talking source. Again, picture this. Jesus, Philip, turns to Philip. Where are we going to get bread? Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's about to reveal himself as the what? The bread of life. The source was sitting right next to Philip. But he didn't see it. He didn't see it. That that would be like if, if we were in the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo was somehow back from the dead and somebody had commissioned you to repaint the ceiling. That would be like you standing next to Michelangelo saying, man, where are we going to get an artist to repaint this? Are you kidding me? I can't do that. Hello? Philip, where? It was like Jesus said, hello? Philip? He didn't see it. 
And how often in our lives does Jesus put us into a circumstance? And, and, he, and he says, and all of a sudden we're asking, how? Well, you know what? How is God's job? But source. See, source, he's the source, so source is his job too. But our job is look, to look to the source. Our job is to turn and say, what are you thinking, Jesus? Because you already know what you're going to do. Are you listening this morning? Oh, i got to keep moving. Holy cow. All right, principle number three. Present whatever little you have. Here's lesson number three. Present whatever little you have. Even though it's not enough, don't withhold it. Now, you got to get this. Philip is, t- is spouting about 200 pieces of silver, 200 and, and it's not enough. Meanwhile, Andrew finds a boy, finds five loaves and two fish, and brings them to Jesus, which is what Andrew's known for. He, 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 he recognized the Messiah. He brought Peter to Jesus. He finds this boy. He finds five loaves and two fish. He had enough sense to bring them to Jesus. Are you listening? And so... He, even though, I believe this, now the scripture doesn't record it, but I believe, this is John Eliff conjecture, I believe that Philip had money. We know that Jesus, Judas was the treasurer, they had resources, they were constantly, there was money supply. Philip didn't go there. Philip didn't offer the little he had. He just amplified what he didn't have. I hope you're listening this morning. Andrew responded differently. Andrew had five loaves and two fish. That's what this represents this morning. It's small. It's insignificant. It's not enough even for you to eat a meal. It's so not enough. Here's the principle. Here's the lesson. Take whatever you have that is so not enough. And get it in the hands of Jesus so that he can do something with it. That's the difference between Philip and Andrew. Andrew, God used him to partner with Jesus to produce this miracle. This little boy, all he had was five loaves and two fish. But he had a choice to make. He's going to hoard it or he's going to help. He's going to give the little he has or he's going to just keep it to himself. And all of us are faced with those choices every single day. What's the point? The point is this, every single day, take the little bit you've got and get it in the hands of Jesus. You know what, that that applies to every arena of our life because God is constantly inviting us into circumstances where we're in over our head. But rather than withhold the little bit that we have, He wants us to turn it over to Him so He can do something with it. Are you listening? He wants to use our lives. He wants to use our mouths. He wants to use our hands. He wants to use our service. He wants to use our love in laying it down to serve somebody else like Gladys Allward. He wants to use, like Andrew and this little boy, five loaves and two fish, and the resources that you have, which aren't enough to to save this whole community. But you've got something you can give, whether it's financial, whether it's your spiritual gifting, whether it's serving. there's There's things that we can give. They're not enough, but they multiply in the hands of the master. So let me, let me bring this to a close, and, and, uh, and I'm going to invite 
my son up, my son Ian. I, I want him to tell a quick story this morning about being in over. Ian, come on up here, and we'll we'll. Can we use this mic? I, sh- I should have. Is that okay? Um, and because we're talking about being in over our heads, and my son took a missions trip last year to Honduras. It was One Nation One Day. Some of you might be familiar with that missions outreach, where the goal was to reach an entire nation in one week. And two, almost 2,000 missionaries converged on the country of Honduras and went into all the schools. All the schools were open. Here, Ian, I don't need that. You need that. All the schools were opened up to these teams. So they went into the middle schools and the high schools and, and they preached the gospel all throughout the country. And then Friday night they had massive crusades all over the country. And hundreds, more than 100,000 people, I think hundreds of thousands of people were swept into the kingdom. But Ian, you, you went on that trip, and, and I think most people here can identify with some of what you were struggling with, because you shared with me that you were hesitant to go on that trip. Tell me, tell me yeah. why. Um, so, so pretty much, much I got on the trip right away, and I was not for me, because I wasn't qualified. I, I mean, I'm just this person. God can easily find me. So I decided, God, you want me to go provide for me, because I... And so I thought, like, ah, that guy, you're really good, buddy. And he did, almost right away. And so I had all the money. I was like, oh, okay, this is different. I'm not, I'm used to this. I'm really nervous because I am not involved. I'm not a missionary. I don't want to do this. And uh, almost right after I got all my money, they sent me a letter saying, by the way, not only are you going, but watch what you want to do with leaders. And I was like, oh, ah. We get off walking, and what we were explaining to you, they explained to us that this whole country is pretty much, they were totally down. Nothing. They tried everything in the whole country, and the country wasn't going anywhere. And the, the government, the president, actually kind of went and said, We're going to let these missionaries come and understand that uh, resisting this for two years, and we're less committed. And they finally said, well, We're going to let you guys come in because there's nothing else. We don't have nothing else. They don't have any other hope. They had the hi- highest crime rate almost in the world, uh, highest poverty level, just the, the whole country is really, really struggling. Yeah. And uh, so, so you were really wrestling with not feeling qualified, feeling in over your head. And, and there was a, the week was amazing, and Ian literally could take hours and tell stories about how God showed up in a really big way. But one of the things that really freaked you out was the, the last day of the week, Friday, on the way to a school where they were going to do a presentation and they do drama and they do skits and they do, do some things and then they give an altar call, a salvation presentation and an altar call and, and they told Ian on the way to the school we want you to do the gospel presentation and we want you to give the altar call. So how, how were you feeling then? By the, by the time you'd been there five days were you really feeling like a beast and ready to go for Jesus? I was feeling like a beast. So, like, so that, that really, oh, really, really, yeah. But um, I went in, I was like, God, again, I was like, God, you're going to have to help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I go in, and it ended up being the hardest school we went to. It was a bunch of teenagers, all across, Joey, 
So there's a huge response for the invitation. And then then you started to pray. They started to minister and they started to pray with kids. And, and, and was that the situation where the young man had the knee that was yeah. from birth? Was, he was in a lot of pain. Yeah, so from, I went up and I talked to this man. And, uh, I was like, so is there anything I can pray with you about? And he said, yeah, I can pray with you about my legs. It's not like my knee is just messed up. And I said, well, today God's going to heal you. So I went down and prayed for him for maybe 10 seconds. I stood up and said, And he said, yeah, he feels better. And one thing that the school had been doing, they were playing with him in the dance room. And the little kid wanted to be part of the dance. But he couldn't because of his knee. And as soon as we prayed for him, his knee was healed. And he did the dance once that night. So, uh, yeah, praise, praise Jesus. He is awesome. Uh, Ian, thank you for sharing that, that story and, uh, and, uh, and just illustrating that all of us can face situations where we're in over our head. But if we'll turn to Jesus, if we'll, if we'll hand him the little bit that we have, and I thought it was so interesting, the story that Ian told, because when he gave the altar call, I mean, there, it, what, kids weren't weeping they were joking and laughing and ignoring him. And he said he stumbled through the presentation. It wasn't, it wasn't polished. It wasn't, it wasn't professional. But God used it. And God's going to do the same thing in your life. He's going to take that little bit. The five loaves and the two fish that you have. Gladys Allward, I told you about her. She went into that prison. She was met by that man that wanted to take her life. And she stepped up and toward that man, she commanded him, hand me your axe. This little English woman speaks to this man, hand me your axe. And he sat there looking at her, wondering if he should strike this foreign devil. Suddenly his face dissolved into meekness and he handed his axe over to her. And miraculously God uses her to restore order in that prison, a little English lady. The military didn't want to go in, but she went in with Jesus. And God did something amazing. I could tell more stories about how God extraordinarily used her. We're out of time. And have Warren and the worship team come back. And I just want you, as we, as we lift our hearts in worship together this morning, I want you to hold that, that little insignificant piece of bread and let it just remind you it's not about you it's not about your wisdom your resources your money your connections it's really about him and who he wants to be in and through you and and as we worship together let Jesus just put his arm around you today And begin to minister to you and encourage you that He already knows what He's going to do in your situation. In what you're facing. Or maybe somebody that you love and care about is facing. So could we stand up and team, lead us in worship. And we're just going to lift our hearts and worship to God. And thank Him for who He is and what He's doing right here and right now in our lives.